0: This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Magnin. And I'm livins Zmeble. And our topic this week is
1: iOS 10 deployment target.
0: Ooh. But first, we have some follow-up. So when iOS 9 came out, uh, I was a little bit excited about a little API called ReplayKit. And then the unfortunate thing happened where an API exists, but nobody uses it. Therefore, the API doesn't exist. there are very few ReplayKit games on the App Store, but it also really didn't help that there are not that many services that actually support streaming with ReplayKit. So what happened this week is two services announced that they were updating their uh, iOS apps to support ReplayKit live streaming. Unfortunately, neither of them is Twitch, uh, which is not very surprising (laughs) because ever since uh, Amazon bought up Twitch, they have been very, very careful in their iOS app updates to not, add any features that anybody wants, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, They still don't have an Apple TV app either, which is kind of weird. Um, But Mixer, which is Microsoft's version of Twitch that nobody uses, except that they tried to jam down, down people's throats every time they have an Xbox press conference. And YouTube... Uh, have announced this well they haven't announced they released updates to their ios apps this week that allow you to stream ios games via replay kit or uh, stream creativity apps like procreate you can live stream uh, drawing with the apple pencil on an ipad uh, via procreate which is really cool um, apparently YouTube Gaming, the YouTube Gaming app has supported this for quite a while except now it is in the main YouTube app and uh, the criteria for live streaming on YouTube is you have to have 100 subscribers which I have passed as of last week Nice! <laughs> so now I can stream the zero games on iOS that have ReplayKit support on YouTube Oy oy oy.
1: Yep But at least when they get updated to ReplayKit one day you'll be able to use it via youtube so it's been
0: good. two years i don't think they're getting updated anytime soon
1: yeah it's funny though because i know you were uh, we i know before the episode we talked about your follow but i didn't know it was so related to my topic because this week's topic is really about making sure you learn about new features of the os that you might have forgotten so in today's episode i want to revisit some of the new developer features announced in ios 10 ios and 10 Yes, and you'll see why. You see why. Now that iOS 11 is near completion, uh, some of you might have started to plan on deprecating support for all iOS versions. And in a lot of companies out there, uh, you might have a strategy uh, that is a support, uh, supported OS strategy consisting of the current OS, so to this day, it will mean iOS 10, and the previous OS only, so iOS 9. So to make sure that your user are both, uh, you support the most user you can. You'll support iOS 10, and iOS, uh, iOS 10 and iOS 9. So with the release of iOS 11, it will mean theoretically that it will be the end of iOS 9 support for your application. And this end of line support, end of life support for iOS 9 means you can finally assume that your app will have access to the new goodies on iOS 10. So today I'd like to revisit some of these news goodies that were introduced a year ago that you put in some space in your brain and say, yeah, yeah, I will remember in a year to look at back at those new features and use them in my code base. And especially talk about why you should use them in your day-to-day life as an
0: iOS developer.
1: But before we look at iOS 10, I would like to look back at iOS 9. Yes, Yannick, we are going back in time a lot tonight.
0: Well, not as much as last episode. We literally went back to iOS 1 last episode.
1: That's true. That's true. But even then, we'll go back to iOS 9. And the re- the one reason I want to go back to iOS 9 is just to give an example of technology I'll be talking about tonight and their uh, importance in to the iOS developer life in day to day. So the one key feature I want to revisit is part of UIKit. And Apple introduced part of iOS 9 three new classes. And the goal of those three new classes was to simplify your design and the construction of your application layout. So the three classes are UI Stack View, UI Layout Anchor and UI Layout Guides. And if you might remember UI Stack View, is, and I hope you remember it because I've been using it a lot in the past year and it is just amazing. UI stack view is a UI control that stacks up views on a specific axis. And this control is just like really nice. It completely diminishes sometimes the your requirement to put constraints between elements because this control does it by itself. It creates spacing between elements on the specific axis you've mentioned and also will uh, reshuffle uh, elements and also hide and shrink View if you want to add some uh, views that are inside a stack view. If we move quickly on UI layout anchor, layout, layout anchor makes creating constraint, layouts constraints easier in a code base. Uh, this class replaced the tedious mathematical linear formula API where you have to define every variable of the formula. So you say, like, height is equal to height multiplied by 2 plus 13
0: i had so much fun times doing those
1: (laughs) yeah and there was since its introduction uh of ns layout constraints in the uh, in the constraint system on ios there was a lot of third-party libraries to simplify its usage apple had their visual language format that was kind of described as a easier way to uh, code constraints easier
0: in big big quotes because it looks disgusting
1: Uh, yes, it is, and it's easy to break something and not realizing it yeah. until you run the application. And this is where uh, layout anchor shines because uh, the way they are construct is you can say that one layout anchor is for the x-axis and it will make sure at compile time that you don't attach it to a y-axis anchor because the type of the object is different Depending of the type of anchor. So you have like x-axis versus y-axis, also like width, height, and stuff like that. So those layout anchors are super nice to use. The API to use them and create constraints based on them is also way simpler. There's a lot of construction method of initialization method where you don't need to pass in all of the parameters. You just say like I want to create a constraint equal to this under anchor, and then you end up with an NS layout constraint. And last but not least, uh UI layout guide. And UI Layout Guide was added for a need to replace the need to add dummy views to create a relationship between the real views of your UI and some other views that were not possible using layout constraints directly. So previously you had to insert those dummy views, make them hidden, but they will still like end up in your view hierarchy, making applications view harder to debug and with iOS 9 Apple decided to add layout guides which is an object to replace those dummy views that are only there to create relationship between real user facing views. Those uh, objects uh, are part of their own hierarchy and they also have the same anchors as a UI view. So you can define the specific width, the specific height, specific spacing between their top, bottom, leading, all of this anchors are as equal as UI view, but it's just separate for you to make those guides uh different and, and make it easier to debug of your UI. So it was a quick uh trip into memory lane in iOS 9 just to demonstrate what i'll be talking the, the type of feature i'll be talking to you uh, tonight and those features is really there to simplify your life on the uh, day-to-day and also sp- simplify your code base whether it's removing codes or removing constraints on dependencies on third-party code and those were introduced in ios 10. so let's stop with the first feature which diverge a bit on that rule because this feature could have been uh, could have been already used even if you don't use uh, iOS 10 as a deployment target. And the new first new feature I want to tackle is UI feedback generator. Do you remember what its purpose, Yannick?
0: UI feedback generator. UI feedback generator. What the hell is UI feedback generator? Is it the thing to ask for reviews?
1: No, oh. that keep that for later. We'll talk about that <laughs> one later. Uh, UI Feedback Generator is a class and it has a related subclass and they are used to trigger the Taptic Engine in response to user interaction. And what made this class special is that it is only available on iPhone 7 and iPhone 7 Plus even if the iPhone 6s and 6s plus have the taptic engine it seems that apple like when they launched the new iphone 7 last year they kind of like revved up the tactic Engine without telling us why and we see a reason of that there's three types of feedback the system you can provide the system the first one is called a ui impact feedback generator used to indicate when an impact occurred between ui elements or any elements UI selection feedback generator used to indicate a change in selection and UI notification feedback generator. It, it, it is used to notify the user about successes, failures, and warnings. So this class is really to make, to improve the user experience of user that have tactic, tactic engine compatible phones. And the reason why I want to talk about this exact feature, even if you could have already, uh, added support in your app by using uh runtime checks is that Apple is rumored to announce three at least three new phones next uh week at their September September event. And personally I expect all of the new phones that will be introduced next week to have this new generation of the Taptic in general, even a better one that will support this uh, this API. And Maybe at the time when iOS 10 launched, with those putting an investment on creating a specific user experience for subs, a, small, a small subset of your user was not worth the design and development cost. But now that will move away from two phones having this supporting this feature to maybe five, six. Who knows? If even if they update the iPhone SE. It might mean in, fa- in the next few months that your user base that will experience this new types of user experience will go quite a lot. And that make will make the development and design costs way uh, smaller and maybe way more important for your business case. And also, now that your app is on iOS 10, by default, uh, you don't need to do those road changes So they will also lower the development cost of developing that specific interaction. Next API we'll talk about is our beloved friend Cordena. Yay. Oh wow, you sound so excited about
0: it. The last time I used Cordena was iOS 3.
1: Oh, oh my. Okay. <laughs> That's a long time ago. And it will be nice because it, we will have to talk about the way we initialize a Cordena stack. Because the first new feature on iOS 10 is a new class called Container.
0: Ah, I think I remember hearing about this.
1: Oh, what do you remember hearing about this?
0: I remember people being very excited about p- potentially simplifying how you initia- initialize a, a core data stack. But I don't remember much more than that.
1: Okay, and you know what? Let's go through the way you should I- initialize a core data stack before iOS 10. <laughs> so every time you want to add a coordinate stack to your application, you have to instantiate a couple of objects for the stack to be up and running. So we'll, through, we'll go through this init stack, uh, initialization process. So step one, you need to instantiate your manage object model with an URL to the location of the model file. So the model file is where you create all of the objects in Xcode. First object is ns-manage-object-model. You point to that file, and it gives you ns-manage-object-model. Step two, you instantiate an NS persistent store coordinator that points to the NS object model created in step one. After having uh, instantiated the NS store coordinator, we move to step three, where you add a persistent store to this store coordinator with a location on this to save it. And this persistent store can be of, I think, three types XML, plist, and. Obviously, uh, SQL. I always remember SQL. I, I know there's plist, and then there's the third one that I always forget. Which even if it's XML, plist and XML is more or less of the same uh, for Apple these days. But in mo- most generally, people will just use the SQL store. So in that case, you just point to the location of the SQL database in your app directory, uh, and you just say, okay, there's this uh, database with all of the option to pass into the SQL stack, and then your NS Persistent Store Coordinator is
0: ready to use. Just after a, that, uh, oh, oh, go we're on. are not done yet. No, we're not. Okay, keep going because it'll just make my point even funnier. Okay, and after
1: that, if you want to start saving and like getting object from this old stack you need to instantiate an NS Object Context, and after instantiating an NS Object Context and making sure it links to the right persistence store, you should be good to go before we continue before we continue a your point there's it's a, there's an important note to what i just said this is not a correlated episode <laughs> i think maybe in the future we'll do a correlated episode <laughs> maybe we should i skipped a big part where you might need to create multiple manage object contents yes. <laughs> or multiple <laughs> persistence soccer, uh, coordinator for privacy's sake Okay, This is not a core data episode. There's a lot of uh, different opinion about the way you should build your core data stacks. There's a lot of documentation on the web about these. And today is not the time to talk about the differences.
0: I agree. Uh, this week, I basically had the opportunity to add entity framework to an empty web project. Oh, nice. Uh, so I had to build the stack from, sta- uh, from scratch. And... I basically had to subclass one object and I was done. <laughs> I created a DB context subclass and that's it. <laughs> so point goes to entity framework, I think in simplicity. And if I want to deal with threading issues, I just create another instance of that class and use that instance in the thread and problem solve.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's, I would say even if I use nearly day to day, uh, Coreda and, there's good and bad sides to core data this is quite simple to
0: do and i I, sh- I should point out that much like how core data has a bunch of different warring factions about how you should do things the same happens on entity framework there are like seven different ways to instantiate the stack and i probably chose the simplest one because i've just wanted the damn thing to work uh but there are trade-offs to the various things and uh On the documentation side, it is actually very confusing because nobody gives names to these different methods. So you basically have to guess which documentation applies to which things, which is totally frustrating. But otherwise, just getting the basic setup is actually relatively simple compared to the experience I had with Core Data when it was early on. And I'm sure it's much easier now because it's been a long time since iOS 3, but yeah.
1: Oh yeah, and maybe if I do a small aside again, is if you use it on iOS 3, which was the year it's introduction on iOS... Yeah, uh, it changed a lot, especially in iOS 5 when there was the parent-child-NS-manage-object-contact uh, yes. relationship and that is completely broken in iOS 5 so you shouldn't use it on iOS 5 and start to use it only on iOS 6. Uh, the other note regarding that is since this is not the Coreta <laughs> episode, if you want to learn more about Coreta, I would invite you to look at all of the either talks or online documentation that Marcus and Zara Oh, put
0: he's it. such a good presenter. I love him.
1: He's a great presenter and also great at writing documentation for Cordeda, even if it doesn't work for Apple. I think he has built a business of being a Cordeda consultant and he's just amazing at it. So a lot of my knowledge of Cordeda came from reading his work. And I would invite you to read his work.
0: Yep, I don't even use Corda, and I watch his talk sometimes just because they're super entertaining.
1: <laughs> they are. I do remember, and I will. I will end the, the, the parenthesis on Corda and uh, Mr. Zara. Uh, I do remember the time he discussed about a specific iPad in his user base that was crashing in yeah. Corda, and he just bought the customer a new iPad and said, "Here's your new iPad. Give me your old one, and I'll find the bug." That is funny. Uh, we should put uh, try to find this. A link for the show notes for this uh talk now do you want to know how to instantiate the ns persistence container compared to what we described as a Cordata stack previously sure why not okay you start by instantiating your ns persistence container using the name given to your cordata model you call the load method that will load a default persistence store and voila your core data stack is up and running. Wait, 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 with wait, wait, wait.
0: I have to ask a follow up question because, yes, it can. as you said earlier, sometimes Apple puts new features into core data and they don't fucking work. Does it work? <laughs> um, that's <laughs> I a good like question. The
1: pause. No, no. But the The real question is: I've read a lot of the documentation, watch a lot of the session, but uh, personally, I'm not at the stage where I can use it yet. Ah, I see. So I learned personally too. Learned the good things. Read a lot of good things. Uh, but we haven't moved. It, uh, it's been a while since I use it in personal product, so I can't use it in personal product because I don't have any personal project right now. And at work, uh, since we are still on iOS nine, uh, we are not looking at it
0: right now. So can't confirm or deny that this feature actually works. That's good.
1: Yes, but looking at the example I found on the internet, they all mention that it's like you do X, Y, and it works.
0: Mhm. Yeah, but they say that about a lot of things.
1: That's true. That's true. But you can still dream that there's something for you there. And oh, I think yeah, no, and I, I think I've heard like from a direct person that was using it that it works. So it is still to confirm that could be follow up for the episode. But everything I read about this new class is not magic, but is a great improvement to core data and makes our core Data life easy. Will make our core data life easier. So I'm eager to use it too. Cool. And at this point, if we uh, end a bit on the NS Persistent Container, also it provides you points to help you transition from your previous stack to the new one. You can, uh, when you initialize it, you can also provide your own managed object model because maybe it's stored. A uh, different where it's, you want to have, you want the container to have a name and the model have a different name because legacy purposes. And also you can provide instances of NS persistent store description. There's too much S in those names. But NS persistent store description, and that will provide more settings and more uh, configuration point to the persistent store and also you can make it point to your old location and not use a default location that apple will use for an ns persistent store container so this new object is kind of the main feature of corey on ios 10 it is the new shit like nick mentioned we all keep our finger crossed that it works from what i heard it works and i'm eager to use it and hopefully it should be in the coming months cool Next feature on the list regarding Core is that Apple implemented its own version of Mogenerator part of Xcode 8. Yay! Mogenerator was a uh, was a, and it still is a well maintained tool for Core to automatically generate the managed object interface when you build your application. Part of Xcode 8, Xcode 8 itself can do that for you and can do that for you in Objective C or Swift and the reason why it's now Objective or Swift and done that automatically in Xcode, Apple also updated their templates used to create those files and also start to audit the Core Data API to improve compatibility with the Swift language. A good example of, sa- of that is, now NSFetch requests can be type-constrained so the Swift compiler can catch types error for you. So you can create a fetch request to the, to the Core Data stack of let's say a type person and make sure that the API guarantees that it will return a list of person or an empty list or an error and not just a list of ns manage object context um, ns manage manage object so it makes your life easier for you to write core data code
0: in swift
1: so this feature is kind of it looks small when you read it in the release notes but even then it is a nice feature that makes your life way easier. And also, all of those files are generated in the derived data, which makes them uh, not part of your source tree. So every person that runs your code will regenerate them and make sure to have the always the latest up-to-date version based on your model, model file in Xcode. Now let's move to Foundation. And Foundation in iOS 10 introduced new measurements API. So Apple added... Uh, three four new classes ns measurements ns unit ns dimension and ns measurement for for matter and the gist of this api is Apple is providing a way an object based API to do conversion from units to units. So you can define your own units but the system comes pre-configured with I'll just say a technical term a shit ton of unit already configured. Uh, I was looking at the list of units you have like earth you also have uh lots of electricity units. I think most of the units that you can measure in the world right now they are already that. I'll say the common ones, but the common one the list is pretty long. They can go as pres- not as precise the list is as full as saying that you can do uh miles per gallon or liters per 100 kilometers conversion if you'd like.
0: As far as I know, a lot of this came out of uh, the health apps, actually, and they wanted to expose it to more people, so they got that out of there, and then they added a bunch of units to it.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that part, but that would make total sense, because you're right, it got first introduced in there. There was a lot of like health-related units first in that framework. And what is really interesting about NS measurement is this is the object you use to specify, okay, a measurement is like two units of two. So the, the number two and the unit liter. So then you can add another measurement of maybe two quarts or like any like imperial unit. And by adding or subtracting them, the API will do the conversion for you without thinking about the base unit so you don't need to convert them maybe like oh you want to do all the calculation in liters and then convert it back to the user's preference the api does that for you without you having to think about it and also you can provide the api can provide conversion from a unit to the other even if each type of units have their own base unit an example of that is if i take the car example apple decided that liters per 100 kilometers was the base unit for the fuel mileage also they have like for water for liquid volume they decided liter it is so you can do conversion from metric to metric so maybe like you say you want a liter then a millimeter and you don't need to do the, the division by yourself or you want a liter compared to a nonce they do that for you in an easy and nice object way now let's move to UIKit. And UIKit, one of the big features that was added in iOS 10 is an EPR called UI View Property Animator, And I will let you guess what is its purpose again.
0: Animating properties on UI views.
1: Which would mean?
0: um, What I just said, I mean, <laughs> like uh, animating width, uh, width and height transformations or a- animating transitions between constraints. Wow, Yannick,
1: you're good. You're good at figuring it out. What's the purpose of a object in the Apple's API by its name?
0: Well, that's why they're verbose. I mean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, so this new object is based on a lot of object and protocol, but the main object place is this new object based API is a way more flexible than current class method or block based option that we have on UI view to animate properties on a view. Let's say you want to move a view from like 50 points on the left and you want to animate that over like 10 seconds with an ease in ease out curve. That was typically the types of animation you could do uh with the blo- the latest like block-based uh methods and op- option on a UI view.
0: My understanding is this is basically a full replacement for what Facebook released as Pop a couple of years ago uh which I used in EOS for the entire UI uh which would let you animate things in pretty much a similar API
1: hmm interesting because what i really like by looking at the documentation and looking at the example of this API is it is simple and also can be fully customized so you can fully control the way the animation should be executed down to the custom timing curve. So you can implement your own custom timing curves. Imagine your designer wants a fancy, like after a quarter of the time, you should move like three quarters of uh the, the movement should be done or the animation of the property should be done and then like takes the three quarters of the time and like do funky animation curve and just not do like... What we expect uh, to happen just to make, I don't know, funky UI. Let's put it this way. This API will let you do it. Uh, obviously, Apple, yet again, they're providing standard timing curves uh, that you can use. Um, and the other part that is new in this API is this API is fully interactive, fully interoperable, and fully reversible compared to some of it where we got in, depending on the version we got is either we get some of it, some of like, Partially interactive up to a certain point in the animation. Some of them were I don't think we got interruptible, but we got reversible. There was always reversible flags on animation APIs, but now it gets these three in the same API, and that is pretty neat. And a lot of example Apple's code example for this new API is combined with custom view tra- custom view controller transition based on user interaction. And it makes sense that this new API is full interactive, full interoperable and reversible, especially if Apple thinks you should use it based on user interaction. Yeah. Because a user interaction can be like you can drag and drag everything everywhere on the screen. You can like just stop your drag midway or a third of the way and you just decide, no, no, I don't want to go back on that screen and you just swipe back and make the animation reversible. And I think really this is where the, this uh, property animator will shine. It can be used everywhere else. You were using like UI view animate with and all of the blocks. But I think it is really with custom transition and custom presentation where the CPI will shine. Yep. Now, if you're lucky enough and you can move your deployment target <laughs> in the next few months to the latest iOS 10 release available you will be able to enjoy this new feature that Yannick spoiled at the I'm beginning of the episode. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Part of iOS 10.3, Apple introduced a new way to ask users for reviews on the App Store and also introducing limitation on how frequently an app can ask for reviews. This new control is part of StoreKit and is called SK Store Review Controller. And this controller provides an easy way to give a star rating and a written review to an app. And the way the API works is you call whenever you seem, uh, uh, whenever you think it should be a good time to ask for reviews. It is important to note that since the controller might not be shown on screen because you might have run into your limitation, that Apple suggests that you don't present this after user interaction, which. At the same time, makes it a bit strange. I guess what they don't want the devs to do is say, "Oh yes, here's UI. You asking your own UI. Do you want to review the? Do you want to review this app?" And the user says yes, and then nothing appears because they already said no three times, for example. Because the limitation is, independently on the number of times you call this API, the OS will always limit you to three presentation per three sixty five day period. So if you call it three times and then the three times I say no, 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 you won't, the developer, even the developer calls the CPI, the system will block it and you don't know if it has been blocked. Also after its introduction, Apple decided that any third party review dialogue will become a rejection cause. Apple is really, f- is a uh, forcing the uh, iOS developer to move to its own controller and this is guideline number 1.1.7 of the App Store review guidelines. So if you look at it, there's a couple of sentences about about uh, App Store reviews where Apple encourages you to do it in the same way. Now, because of this new uh, controller, they ask you to use it and if you don't, and they found, they realize that you don't use it, um, they won't like you. That's, that's what I kind of was saying. And I won't and, like you either. Fair. And I think at this point, we've seen a lot of a uh, good example of its usage um a good uh an app it's funny I think the first time I saw this prompt was f- with the app workflow from now uh, the workflow people that has been acquired by apple and it was a bit what they don't suggest you to do I think it was they really say like oh uh we will re- do you want to review our u s app and then you say yes and then it shows the the prompt and because they never asked me they were able to maybe do it i don't know how they, they do that or they just like didn't care and if you sometimes you press yes and uh it won't show anything so you're like Ugh, i can't do anything but uh they're using the typical uh ios strategy where you know that if you call the ios api for certain things it might not do anything because you run into a limit but just to be safe you use your own ui if the person says no you can at least try next time they might say yes without burning one of those three times per year period
0: and that irritates the fuck out of me uh, I think they should just call the thing directly also I never found the setting that you can use to disable a review prompts. like I thought oh. there was supposed to be a setting but I can't find it and I search for it in the settings app and it doesn't come up
1: let me check because if I recall correctly while I check oh, I thought it was in the app the App Store thing—it's not oh, on my phone it's anyway. Interesting. It's not in mine either. Hmm. Hopefully somebody will.
0: If anybody knows, please tweet at us, and we will yeah, include yeah. it follow up next episode. But yeah, there's apparently supposed to be a setting to turn it off, uh, which is pretty weird. Another thing is, uh, like there are implications on business models with this thing, which sounds kind of weird, but actually, um it's a frequent thing that happens in Japanese free-to-play games where they give you rewards for reviewing the app and now they can't basically force you to go to a review screen uh, anytime uh, so
1: Apple though Apple notes that you can still not force but uh, what's the naming they use they can like they can you can still use the uh, real base way to drive uh reviews to your app through the app store app so you can still use the the, the query parameters at the end of the itms semicolon yeah. slash slash or all to go to the right review part and maybe that could work but in the end the developer doesn't know if you really write a review or not the,
0: the thing that makes it very weird is like frequently what will happen is in game they'll display a big dialogue that's like hey there's a new campaign you can go Review the thing and we'll give you this thing. And it's like the first pop up you get when you open the app. And at that point, I don't think it really matters if the pop up is rendered in OpenGL or if it's rendered with a UI alert view. Like you're still basically doing the same thing, except you're doing it inside the game. And I don't know if that's going to fly with Apple or if they're going to, like a lot of things, ignore. The things that game companies do that are against the rules because they don't want to piss off the game companies because they want iOS to be a good gaming platform, which it's not really anymore. But um, that's another episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The, this episode will be the kind of the the routing table of other episodes, I guess. Yeah. Um, maybe to end a bit on this uh, new controller, there was an in, an interesting uh. Medium blog post about, oh, uh, God. yes, I know, but it's from uh, a guy named Klimma Delong. Hopefully, I pronounced it right. But he was looking at the Instagram rating numbers from there. At, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, so uh, maybe one of the latest uh, updates. They usually release a shit ton of updates, so it might, uh, you might, while you listen to me saying that, it might already have like three or four updates already. But he was looking at the latest review at the, the latest release at that time and realized that there was two million ratings in a week yeah. to this uh, app, to the Instagram application. He was looking at also an App bot to see like the trend of it, and he realized that it was really part of the last release. And he and people on Twitter like point out to him that part of the last release, Instagram decided to use this new API and it seems to me and to those number that is presented in those in this medium blog post that for instagram it is working really well for them really well it, it seems that the, the reason why it's like really mentioning this 2 million ratings is that they by doing 2 million ratings in a week they double the number of total ratings on the app since instagram has been on the app store
0: for what five years at this since point? the iPhone five? four came out, so yeah, twenty ten,
1: so yeah, so nearly yeah seven
0: years. Yep, which so is a lot of reviews,
1: a lot of reviews for a super popular app, and I think uh, hopefully people at Apple can uh, be really happy about that because I think it is one of the biggest uh, like love story, I would say, like uh, important like story about this new controller, and I think it is it is putting Apple like saying. It is proving to Apple that their decision was the right one, even with all of the companies people had it to release. I know you wouldn't like that. I know you wouldn't like that. But I think it is a good success story.
0: The thing that pisses me off about it is not so much that it's been getting good results. Because I, I think Apple's approach, if you're going to have this thing where you bother people and ask them to review your app... I prefer Apple's approach, which is much more controlled than the free-for-all that we had before, where every fucking time I went to Hangouts to talk to our friend Shannon, I got a dialogue that popped up in my face before I could read his message that said, hey, would you like to rate Hangouts? And it would piss me off, and it drove me crazy. But the problem is, like, if you were one of the few apps who decided, hey, I would rather be the nice guy and not harass my users to ask them for a donation, uh, not donations, that would be even worse. Ooh, donation. (laughs) I've been watching too much Twitch recently. To harass (laughs) them, to ask them for reviews, you basically are just incentivized to add this dumb thing to start harassing your users because now everyone is getting so much more reviews than they used to that you are even more at a disadvantage for not using it, which I find to be unfortunate because I really just don't want apps bothering me and asking me for reviews, I want to use the goddamn app. Right. And, but at
1: the same time, you would have declined it three times and you will be okay for the next year compared to the experience you had with the
0: Hangouts app. Yeah, no, I I agree that Apple's approach is better. I just still would rather have zero times than three times, is what I'm saying. Agreed, agreed.
1: Yeah, the the best way to fix the problem is not to have reviews on the, on the store, then you don't have review problems. That's a good
0: point. I wasn't going that extreme. I was just like, make oh, it a okay. voluntary thing and stop <laughs> bothering people.
1: Okay. And you know what? That is mostly it for the in uh, f- feature I wanted to talk about uh, iOS 10. You will say, and I can already hear you say, that there's a lot of new features in iOS 10 that I did not mention. And... Just to remind you that a lot of the new features I expect uh, people to have already implemented them because a it's part of the business uh, case and business uh, I'm looking at, yeah it's part of the the their business uh, to do that the second Apple releases to have a business advantage compared to the competition so a good example of that would be uh, the Siri Intense. the lot of Siri, uh, the Siri intent was added in iOS 10 Um, another one was iMessage apps with varying success let's put it this way
0: the big one uh, iPad split view which took Google like six months to implement (laughs) that
1: other one a lot of other like big temple feature I think Apple expects developers that are always up to date let's call it this way like always on the latest development target always like so uh, iOS 11 gets released let's say in three weeks because we will, we know for sure that if there's an Apple event next week, it would get released in September. We'll see updates in four weeks at most, where people are like, "Here's my new app. It's already iOS iOS 11 compatible. It always use the fee- uh, the new features already because it is better for my company to do so and to maybe get advantages by getting more marketing push from Apple and stuff like that, compared to other companies where they have their own business goals and maybe those business goals does not fit directly with the business goal of Apple so we they might be they might tend to be slower at adopting a technology as part of iOS I think you started with follow up about that directly um yeah Google is not a good example it is a good example but uh, let's uh, continue that but what I'm trying to see here is this is um Features that once you move your iOS deployment target on iOS 10, I expect a lot of developers to use them more frequently than just like because of a business need. This is, w- these features will make your life easier and hopefully you'll be able to not forget about them and use them in your code base. Before we go, I have a couple of notable mentions that I would like to, ma- to, uh, to go through. The First one is about Corda, and we need to Put in peace, rest in peace, our good friend, iCloud Core Data. Wah, in iOS wah. 10, <laughs> iCloud, a lot of iCloud, I think most of iCloud Core Data's APIs have been deprecated.
0: God, I feel so bad for the people who actually tried to use that and then like did a bunch of workaround work. And now all of that has to go into the trash.
1: Yeah, sadly. But at least these days, there's a Cloud Kit. Cloud Kit was introduced in iOS 9. And so it works it kind so of- well. Yeah. And I think when it got introduced, you kind of got the feeling that iCloud Data would go away without knowing it. And yes, iOS 10 was the release for that. In another, uh, another product that went into the cemetery is Game Center. I, you know what? I forgot that there was an app and I forgot that this app died in <laughs> iOS 10. G-
0: Game Center is still alive. It's just the app is gone.
1: Yes. And you're right. So. In game Center app died in iOS 10 and if you want to retain the feature that was part of the app Apple invites you to implement or to, to present a controller a view controller named GK Game Center View Controller inside the application after user behavior mentioned that it want, the user wants to see leads boards, its own score like the achievements they have you can use that or you can use the Game Center data available in GameScript framework and create, you create your custom UI around its da, it, this data.
0: Yep, and that controller is the same controller that every single game has been using since iOS 4, so most of them don't even have to update. They already have the button that works already in their app.
1: Yeah, that is exactly. This view controller is not new in iOS 10. It's just that the app dies, so Apple is kind of putting pressure on you to use it, but most games that were Game Center compatible were already using it. On stuff that is not stuff that died in iOS 10, I have a couple of last features in UIKit that I want to mention. Uh, Apple's own refresh control is now fully compatible with all scroll views and its subclasses. Uh, previously, it was only mostly in table views, so now you can use it in the collection view and all scroll views. Uh, also, a big push in iOS 10 was data prefetching on collection and table views to make... the the table view and collection view based UI even faster and there was a new class called UI Preview Interaction that is used for building custom peek and pop user interface
0: yay 3D Touch all these these phone features that I forget exist because I have an iPhone SE
1: (laughs) oh that's true Yeah, I don't Uh, have a Taptic Uh,
0: Engine so I forget about the Taptic Engine (laughs) API, I don't have the peek and pop so I don't remember the peek and pop API Yep, that's true. You have a fake, uh, success. <laughs> I have the best success. That's the thing.
1: Oh, and you know Shots fine. We'll, yeah, no, we'll just end on that. I, I can't. <laughs> I can't fight with that statement.
0: All right. Uh, so you can find the show notes for this episode at limitlesspossibility.net/slash/seventy-two, or you can find all of our episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the show on Twitter at limit, uh, at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. Is that it? <laughs> I'm so disoriented. Yeah,
1: no, yeah, I don't know why you forgot our Twitter account, but
0: <laughs> I think not I- getting I won't any sleep you. yesterday didn't help. Uh, Come on
1: come on <laughs> you played destiny 2 for what i whole went to night? work
0: for nine hours i came back i played destiny for 10 hours and now i'm completely fucked uh where was i yes i'm also <laughs> on tra-
1: <laughs> oh my goodness This outro.
0: <laughs> i'm also on twitter at sakrina that's s-a-k-u-r-i-n-a and you can find luke at Luconos. that's
1: l-u-c-c-o-n-o-u-c-h-i
0: i'm gonna go get some sleep and we'll see you in two weeks
1: That's not true. You're going to play Destiny 2. That's what you said before. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see you in two weeks. (laughs) Oh, mon dieu.